Now here at HCC, one of our priorities is to equip those who are seriously considering the calling to vocational ministry by giving them the opportunity to preach, which is really one of the ways to affirm and clarify if God is indeed calling them to this particular aspect of ministry. So with that said, I have the privilege to introduce our guest preacher this morning. Now, aside from his mad skills and competitive nature on the basketball court, Melvin has a passion to love his family and to care for and to disciple the church family with fervor, grace, and compassion. This is truly evident in his life as long as I have known him. Now, he is actually currently working full-time as an attorney at Targa Resources while pursuing an MDiv degree at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary with concentration on Great Commission Studies. So if you'd like to get to know him, you can actually check his biography as part of the upcoming elder uh, nominees this coming year. Or you can just talk to him after service. So if you could join me in welcoming Melvin Huang. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is so clear, so precious. And we know, Lord, that at times it is very challenging, but you challenge us for our own good. So I pray, Lord, that this morning would be a blessing to you. May you help soften our hearts. May you help us to knead the truths into our hearts as we commit them to you. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Church, I am so blessed and honored to be here this morning on this glorious day. You know, HCC has been a tremendous spiritual family to me, Stacy, and our three boys. Thank you all for your love and support over the years. Now, many of us, are uh, brothers and sisters, are at English retreat, but I have the privilege of continuing our exploration of Luke this morning. The passage that was just read doesn't fall squarely in the series Meals with Jesus, but it's directly between last week's message and next week's message. So I have the privilege of speaking to you about the cost of discipleship. Now, Jesus, at the height of his popularity, turned to the massive crowds who were thronging to him and told them how hard and costly it was to follow him. This is so counterintuitive to what we would do if we were trying to attract people and keep their attention. It's like, imagine Steve Jobs, 15 years ago, when he introduced the iPhone for the first time. Right, tomorrow is the Apple event. It's always a highly anticipated, jam-packed thing. Fifteen years ago was the first time the iPhone came out. Imagine if Jobs said something like this. Every once in a while, there's something revolutionary that changes everything. Apple is going to reinvent the phone. Now, smartphones today are already pretty hard to use. But we're going to make it harder. We're going to make it more complicated and more costly than any other mobile device that's ever been made. It's gonna make your life really difficult. This is what the iPhone is. 
I mean, those words are pretty insane for a CEO. But, you know, our Lord essentially walked down that route. Why? I think he knew the temptation of presenting Christianity and discipleship as all benefits with no cost. You know, earlier this year, the Public Religion Research Institute released a survey saying that 71% of Americans self-identify as Christian. So I ask, how is it that when 7 out of 10 Americans in society claim to be Christian, that our influence is so weak and fading? I think one reason is because we have failed to grasp that Christianity is a costly faith. And this has led to disciple-making that is imbalanced, incomplete, and harmful. So last week, Minister Henry spoke to us from the parable of the great banquet, and he showed us how we must invite others to fellowship with us. Now, from that parable, we also learned the possibility that one's ties to family and possessions could disqualify him from participating in the feast. And today's passage, which follows right after the parable, Jesus says that's no longer a possibility. There is the reality that your allegiance to family and possessions can be impediments to authentic discipleship. You see, becoming a disciple costs you nothing. But being a disciple will cost you everything. Sounds kind of paradoxical, right? How can the gospel be both free and costly at the same time? How can what was freely given to me, salvation, lead to such a costly life, discipleship? Well, our text this morning will help clarify this puzzling truth by encouraging us to embrace the cost of discipleship in light of the cross. That is the theme. Embrace the cost of discipleship in light of the cross. Now, to get from wherever you are to embracing the cost of discipleship requires three steps. The first step is to actually recognize what those costs are. And then once you learn what those costs are, you have to weigh them. You have to count them. But once you count them and you find that it's worth it, then you can embrace the cost. Now, a gentle warning, this text is hard. It's one of Jesus' hard sayings. It's a challenging text. And you may find yourself, honestly, pushing back on some of the words I'm going to say this morning. But I pray that the Spirit soften our hearts and help us to become more committed disciples of Christ. So it's recognize, we got to recognize, and we got to count and embrace the cost. Now, in verse 25, I want to set the stage a little bit, set the scene for this extraordinary teaching. But in verse 25, it starts off as, now great crowds accompanied him. You know, Jesus attracted huge crowds, right? His miracles, his teachings were like unlike anything that anyone's ever seen. But, you know, Jesus was not interested in numbers. He was interested in commitment. He knew that it's really easy to be hidden in a crowd, to just blend in. You know, you could have been at Minute Maid Park and have no interest in baseball. And everyone would assume 
that you were rooting for the Astros, oh, unless you were wearing a Red Sox shirt, but it's, it's true. So many people. You can fake allegiance while in a crowd, can't you? And Jesus is sifting through the crowds. He is trying to separate the bandwagon disciple from the diehard loyal one. Now, this begs the question, of course, who is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a pupil, a student. See, in ancient times, disciples would sit at the feet of a great teacher, and they would follow him around. You think of a Jedi and his Padawan, if you're into Star Wars. Or if you're in the medical field, uh, it might be an attending physician and her resident. The point is that you're following somebody, a master or someone who's got more expertise, you're trying to learn. So a disciple would be a follower or a learner. And so a disciple of Christ then would be a follower and learner of Jesus. And here, <clears throat> he's trying to tell us in verse 26, we read here, the first cost, recognizing the first cost of being a disciple. Verse 26 reads, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, in our passage this morning, three times, verses 26, 27, and 33, Jesus ends his, his words with, cannot be my disciple. You see that? And so from those three statements, we recognize the three costs. They're relational, reputational, and material. The first one in verse 26 is the relational cost. Jesus must be worth more than all the people and personal relationships in your life. We must treasure Jesus above all our affections. He's not just to be first among equals. To be his disciple, the question, the answer to the question, is Jesus my greatest treasure? Must be an unqualified yes. Now, the word, of course, that jumps out of us here is that word hate. It's jarring, isn't it? But Jesus is purposely using this to grab our attention. But must we really hate those who are closest to us? Didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? Isn't the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself? Yes and yes. But Jesus here, his use of hate is hyperbole. It's a Hebrewism or a Jewish idiom. What he means is that your love for those closest to you when compared to your love for him will seem like hatred because of your supreme loyalty and devotion to him. So in other words, your love for Christ will make all your other loves pale in comparison. That is what he means by hate here. Now, I had once an exchange with my father that forced me to recognize this relational cost of being a disciple. And maybe some of you can relate to this. But one Christmas, uh, many years ago when I was just a young believer, 
my father thought that my love for Christ was hatred towards him. And so he hated God. God has stolen my son from me. You're not my son. I don't know who you are. You were a wasted birth. And he, he raged and he stormed out of that room. Those, those words were like knives in my chest. I tried to hold back the tears. I could not. I remember sitting there alone, just wondering, here's my father who just berated me. I wanted to please him. I wanted him to be proud of me. But he has just said very hurtful things because I follow Jesus. I remember just asking Jesus to give me strength and hope. I mean, I had nothing else to do at that moment. But, you know, I also knew I could not forsake my Lord. In fact, I knew that the best way to love my father was to love God first. So that is, there is a relational cost to following Christ. And Jesus doesn't just say to hate those closest to you. He says you must hate even your own life. What does that mean? Well, to be clear, hating yourself does not mean self-loathing. But instead, it means you are putting aside the relationships that previously made up your identity. And you're reconstructing that identity within the new community that's oriented towards God's purposes. So in other words, your identity is no longer along familiar, familial or family bloodlines, but it's defined by the blood of Christ. That is what it means to hate your own life. Jesus said that he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, verse 26 is getting at this truth, the same truth here. So, in summary, there is first a, rela a relational cost to being a disciple. You must make Jesus your number one priority if you are to follow him. Otherwise, you cannot be his disciple. Now, second, in verse 27, we see a reputational cost. Read with me here, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus had already said he has to hate, his disciple has to hate his own life. And he ratchets up the intensity even more by saying, basically, you have to sacrifice your life. Now, in ancient times, right, the cross was an instrument of torture and execution. So when you bore your cross or when you bear your cross, you are being identified as a criminal worthy of death. So when we bear our cross, what are we doing? We are telling the world that we agree with God's verdict, that we are guilty sinners and that we are in authority under him. We're under his authority. We also publicly proclaim that we will suffer for him, even being crucified for him. You know, I like what A.W. Tozer said about what it means to be crucified with Christ. First, the person crucified is facing one way. Secondly, he is not turning back. And finally, he has no plans of his own. 
and we glibly say, I have been crucified with Christ. Do we know what that really means? You know, a, a disciple of Christ, we have no plans of our own. And we prize Jesus more than our personal reputation. Let's be real. Sometimes being a follower of Christ will mean fa enduring false accusation and shame and ridicule. You know, bearing one's cross is the epitome of shame and condemnation. And, but Jesus is exactly telling us this is what he wants his disciples to do. So there's a reputational cost as well. And finally, in verse 33, we see the third cost, which is material. Look at verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, Jesus must be worth more than all your possessions and personal rights. Possessions can potentially be the most destructive thing to discipleship. You know, our material belongings, our stuff, has an unusually strong grip on our sense of well-being and status and satisfaction. But Jesus is saying to renounce not just some, not just most, but all that we have. Otherwise, we cannot be his disciple. Friends, Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could enjoy the pleasures of Houston and the riches of this world. To the contrary, Jesus said in the parable of the sower that riches, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things choke the seed of faith that was sown. Paul said that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Right? We cannot worship money and God. We cannot, there's no negotiating with Jesus here. It's either we're all for him or we're not for him at all. There's no saying, Lord, if the cost goes this high or, or, or maybe this high, if it's this high, I'm no longer interested in following you. But thankfully, right, we know people in our lives that show us otherwise. Last weekend, some of us had the opportunity to go to Louisiana to do some Hurricane Ida disaster relief through the organization Samaritan's Purse. Some of you are in this room right now. And one of the homeowners that we had the blessing to serve was Charmaine. And Charmaine had gone through a lot. Her husband had a heart attack. Her home had water damage from, and mold from the storm. She, she had lost a lot of possessions. <clears throat> she had gotten COVID really badly. She was, in a, she was bound to a wheelchair. She needed an oxygen tank just to breathe. And so we went in and we were excited. We just wanted to bless her and help her however she wanted. <laughs> but it turns out she's the one who blessed us. She greeted us and then she said to us, she said, Y'all young people, got to remember, all this stuff, and she was pointing everywhere, all this stuff is going to go boom one day. It's all going to be gone. Don't put your hope in material things, but only in the Lord. I was like, yeah, keep going. <laughs> and Charmaine didn't know 
whether she's going to get better. But you know, it didn't really matter to her because she knew whom she served. So I think of Charmaine when I think of someone who would say to Jesus, Lord, even though the cost is this high for being your disciple, I, I will renounce everything to follow you. What about you? Will you do the same? How are you renouncing your possessions for Jesus' sake? Well, one practical way is to look at our budgets. Ask the Holy Spirit to really examine your heart. It's my desire to be comfortable to be at ease, to enjoy the wealth that I possess, keeping me from wholly throwing myself into the work of the kingdom and following Christ. I'm asking myself that question. And I know some of you are in financial tight spots and don't even have a job, but even then, please consider this. Ask the Spirit. Is my desire to, to reach or maintain a certain lifestyle keeping me from contributing my all for the cause of Christ. Now, one small way, I offer one small way of maybe lessening the grip of riches on our lives. So once in a while, not every time, but as frequently as you'd like, instead of ordering a drink with a meal, or that coffee, or that bubble tea, say, not for me but for Christ. Save those funds that you would have spent on that drink, set it aside, and use it to support our church. Use it to support a missionary or a ministry organization like Samaritan's Purse. I know it's a little weird if you're waiting in line at Share Tea, which is my boba shop of choice, but Starbucks, wherever, and you say, not for me, but for Christ, and then you kind of exit the, the line. But you know what? It's a small reminder to yourself, that I'm going to renounce my possessions or use my money towards the purposes of God. And start small. Start with a drink. But let the Holy Spirit build that mentality to larger and larger items. And you'll be surprised at what He will do. So, we've taken the first step about embracing the cost of discipleship, which is to recognize, right, the three costs. There was relational, reputational, and material. We have two more steps, which will go a lot faster, but the second step here is, now that we know the cost, we have to count them. We have to ask ourselves, is it worth following Christ after he has so clearly shown us what it will cost? And Jesus himself uses two illustrations, right, to highlight the importance of counting the cost. In verses 28 to 32. So the first one is the parable of the tower builder, verses 28 to 30. And it's a pretty straightforward message. Right? If you start, willingly, start a building project, you've got to count the cost. You've got to plan well. Otherwise, you may not finish. And if you don't finish... People will look at your half-built tower and they will mock you for being a fool. 
I think our building committee is taking this parable to heart. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but the parable of the king is the second one. And this is slightly different, but this is a king that is being under attack. And he has to, he only has half the army, right, of the king who is coming against him. So he's got to count the cost before going into battle. If he knows he cannot win, it would be suicidal for him to go and engage the king, wouldn't it? Any wise king in that situation would want to save his people. So he would go and ask for terms of peace. So these parables, they, they highlight the importance of counting the cost. You too must assess and weigh the costs of following Christ. Are you ready to take on the personal commitment and sacrifice that's required to follow Jesus? And you might be wondering, how, how can I do that when I don't know what's coming in my life? Well, Jesus requires upfront the highest possible cost. Imagine the highest cost that you're willing to pay to follow Christ. Raise it a notch higher and assume that is what Jesus requires. Now, if some of you are feeling a bit overwhelmed or even squirmish now, I understand. I, I told you at the front, this is a hard saying of Christ. His words are extreme. They're intentionally so. This is a challenging message. And there might be even, well, at least I thought of, two concerns that might arise in your mind as you hear this. The first is, Melvin, discipleship is too hard. It's crushing. And second, you know, counting the costs and all this makes it seem like it's very transactional. So I want to briefly explain kind of address these two very understandable concerns. First, discipleship really is, is crushing. It is, if you resist the yoke of Christ. You see, the command of Jesus to be his disciple is impossibly hard if you resist. But if you willingly submit, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And we do that through reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who empowers us to surrender and submit to his yoke. Not to strain and struggle against it. The Spirit helps us to revere the Son's command. Not as crushing, but as, as liberating. Now the second concern is more important, which is, Hey, counting the costs, weighing the, the you know, pros and cons and the risks and benefits seems very transactional. Well, in response to that, I think it's helpful to recount something that Pastor Jason has mentioned before, which is the difference between the cost of purchase and the cost of surrender. So let me explain a little bit. In that parable of the king, you know, the, the, the king who was attacking could have said, to the weaker king, if you pay me a tribute, if you give me half your land, I'll leave you alone. You know, that's one way of securing peace. It's buying peace. 
It's costly, but it's the cost of purchase. On the other hand, though, that king could have also said, I know you can't defeat me, but I can guarantee that you will have security and peace and even joy if you surrender your autonomy and everything to me. That's an even higher cost, and that is the cost of surrender. Beloved, Jesus is a warring king, but he wars for us against death and sin and Satan, and he has already achieved the victory over those forces. But we too must remember that we were once enemies of God. We were once utterly defeated and dead in our sins, but Jesus is the gracious king. He gives us pardon and rescues us if we surrender our all to him. The gospel is this message of grace. It's not about trying to buy or bargain for your life. It is receiving the free gift of eternal life through surrendering your all to Jesus. And why would we do that? Why would we do such a thing? It's because Jesus is worthy of our all. Jesus deserves our superior love because he gives us a superior reward, which is himself. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Heaven, ultimately, is about seeing Christ in the fullness of his glory and holiness. It is about hearing his voice without any distortion of sin. It is about enjoying the very presence of Christ and being able to worship with countless saints and angels from all ages, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and wealth and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen? And so, I went to our final point here. Right, we have recognized the costs of following Christ, relational, reputational, material. We have counted the cost and asked, is it worth it? And we have answered, yes, it is worth it because of who Jesus is. Now, I exhort you to embrace the cost of discipleship in light of what Jesus has done. You know, when Jesus turned around to look at the crowds, the first words that came out of his mouth was, if anyone comes to me. Anyone is a broad term. It's all-inclusive. It is an invitation to all. It's a call to salvation. John 6 says that Jesus will not cast down anyone who comes to him. And we must not forget the high cost at which we were bought, the price of his blood. And we must never forget that he paid that price willingly. So to my unbelieving friends who may be here this morning or online, I ask you, would you be a disciple of Christ? He purchased you by his blood. 
He laid down his life that he might follow you, be reconciled to God, and have life to the fullest. Yes, being a disciple costs you everything, but becoming a disciple cost him everything, and he did so out of love. And I also ask you this, even though it is costly to follow Christ, have you considered the cost of not doing so? If you do not believe in Christ, if you reject him, what awaits you? But only the just judgment and wrath and the fires of hell against you because of your sin. So choose Christ. Choose life. And now, to those of you who might feel just tired or indifferent, jaded, you might even say lukewarm, I also ask you this, out of sincere love, have you truly considered the cost of following Christ? Do not be content to just contribute to the work of Christ enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable, right? As John Stott would say, don't make your faith some great soft cushion that changes shape to suit your conveniences. You know, one reason why maybe you're feeling lukewarm, maybe one reason is that you have not seen Jesus as Lord. You have seen him as your Savior, but not also as Lord. You know, a call to discipleship is to be under his lordship. If you have viewed Jesus as merely a savior, as your ticket to heaven, as insurance from hell, and not also as Lord, who he has every right to demand anything from you, if that's the way that you've been walking with Jesus, you know, it's, it may be true that you have not been walking with him at all. You've been walking on your own terms, not his. You know, I think about Matthew 7, where Jesus has that very scary statement. It says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I think maybe the people who were saying, Lord, Lord, actually didn't regard him as Lord. I mean, they said it with their lips, but their lives told a different story. So, I call on you to be reawakened by the glorious love that Jesus has for you, which makes the high cost of following Jesus possible. You know, the work of God, Jesus says in, in Matthew 7 that he who does the will of my Father will enter heaven, but we know that the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent, his Son, to be both Lord and Savior. And finally, I want to address those who have been you know, faithfully walking with the Lord. Praise God. It is very beautiful and precious to see that. You know how costly it is to be his disciple. And I just want to encourage you to keep persevering with joy. Jesus promised that he who forsook all his family and his possessions for him and the gospel will receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the eternal age to come, 
or age to come, eternal life. His promises are true, right? Jesus is faithful to his promises. So I pray that those promises sustain you, help you persevere when it's seemingly too demanding. You know, the more costly something is, the more valuable it is. Anything of worth exacts a cost. Parents, especially stay-at-home parents, you know that raising children is costly. And professionals or employees, you know that completing that project at work or working for that boss is costly. Students, you know that writing that thesis for class is costly. All these things are valuable, but they require sacrifice. But to all of us, pray that you will continue to follow after Christ because he is infinitely valuable. He is of infinite worth. He is worthy of our all. Yes, the, the cost of following Christ is real, but what is even more real is Jesus as our priceless treasure. So in light of the cross, right, we can cherish who Jesus is, we can cherish what he has done for us, and we can look forward to what he will do for us when he comes. And with the cross before us, we can embrace the cost of discipleship and proclaim, right, whether in life or in death, may God be magnified in our bodies. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning, which again is so clear, so precious. Help us to embrace the cost of discipleship for you have embraced us with your love. Lord, I know it's been a challenging message, but I pray that you give us fresh motivation to follow hard after Christ. Help us to treasure him, for he is worthy of our all. Help us to surrender our all for the cause of Christ. Help us to fix our eyes upon him, to persevere, and to know that you are with us until the end of the ages. We thank you for the passage this morning, for your, your words, O oh Lord. I pray again that it would need, be needed, be pressed into our hearts long after we leave this room. And thank you again for the privilege of sharing your word this morning with my spiritual family here. And I pray all these things in Jesus' priceless name.